Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. I distinctly remember the feeling of my tears running down my cheeks as I was laying there mortified over the fact that I couldn't make a single sound. He told me in detail how he basically wanted to torture some lady and commit necrophilia along with other fucked up stuff. They both laughed and agreed, and the one with the beer said, let's follow them and we can grab her around the corner. She's small and won't put up a fight. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out. It's one that I really enjoy, and I think you will too. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's Jordan, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales that will leave you on the edge of your seat. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user Ellislee, featuring voice work by Melissa Medina, and we get a visit from our sleep paralysis demon. I'm a 22-year-old female, and I've suffered from sleep paralysis on a regular basis since I turned a year old. Every single sleep of my life has either been an immersive or lucid dream or a sleep paralysis. You might think I'm being dramatic when I say this, but I am 100% sure that my first ever memory was actually sleep paralysis. To start, I've moved at least 20 times since I was born, and I have memories of sleep paralysis in every single bedroom I've ever had. All of my descriptions of early bedrooms have been confirmed as accurate by my parents. We moved from my first house when I was around one year and a couple of months. So my first experience was a little bit after my first birthday. At this point, we lived in a two-story house. I have two older brothers who shared a bedroom in the bottom story of the house right next to my bedroom. Our parents' bedroom was just up the staircase so that if their bedroom door was open, they could more or less see me sleeping in my crib. I was notorious for waking up in the middle of the night and screaming bloody murder at that age. According to my mom, there was absolutely nothing they could do to put me back to sleep as long as I was still downstairs in my room. It quickly became routine for my parents then to just bring me upstairs as fast as possible whenever I started screaming, mostly to spare my poor brothers from listening to my hysterics all night. 
Whenever they brought me upstairs, however, I would fall asleep immediately and never wake up until my parents had to physically wake me in the morning after. This was the routine up until my first ever experience. As per the routine, I started screaming my lungs out at around 1 a.m., according to my mom. She picked me up as usual and brought me upstairs to their bedroom and put me in their bed where I quickly fell silent. Again, this was the routine they were used to. Now, this is where my first ever memory starts. I remember being tucked in between my mom and dad. I distinctly remember the residual scent of my mother's perfume mixed in with the smell of her breath on my face. My dad's hand was stretched over my legs and drawing my mother closer as they tucked in around me. Eventually, I woke up slightly confused. I didn't know why I was awake. I remember feeling very confused and I wanted to try to explore the room and try to find out what had woken me up. No matter how hard I tried though, I couldn't move a single muscle in my body. My eyes darted around the room, desperately trying to discover the source of my discomfort. Feeling absolutely helpless, I tried screaming out to try to wake my mom or dad so that they could help me, but no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't make a single sound. I distinctly remember the feeling of my tears running down my cheeks as I was laying there mortified over the fact that I couldn't make a single sound. That's when I saw them. Two peculiar figures standing at the edge of the bed, their forms illuminated by the subtle glow of the moonlight creeping through the curtains of the window behind them. The figure on the left was the tallest. The one on the left was around half a head shorter. I couldn't really see much detail on their bodies as their bodies looked almost as if they were out of focus. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't focus on any detail. Their faces, on the other hand, I wished I could delete certain details. I want to reiterate again that I was just barely a year old at this point. My reference bank of people at this point was my parents and my two older brothers. Seeing those two figures standing at the edge of the bed, I remember immediately thinking that this had to be my brothers wearing masks or something. The worst thing, though, was that even though I thought that the figures in front of me were my big brothers, I was still terrified. Their faces held the most grotesque grimaces I've ever seen, and I still do not understand how I imagined them. The only way I can describe how the expressions were is, imagine if a fox and a badger were taxidermied, but the taxidermist's main inspiration was the uncanny valley. I spent years believing my brothers hid these horrible animal faces and would spend those nights at the end of my parents' bed just staring at me, just tilting their heads as they examined my small form, gasping, fighting against everything, keeping me from making noise. No matter what I did though, I could never break eye contact with them. I know my description of my first ever sleep paralysis encounter might seem a bit long and too detailed. The thing is though, although the subjects of my sleep paralysis has changed hundreds of hundreds of times since then, they've always just stared at me. There's been talking, sure, but it's never been directed to me. I've had sleep paralysis where 
I've heard my entire family being murdered. I've heard people screaming outside that my house is on fire and that everyone needs to evacuate. But no one has ever talked to me. In 22 years of sleep paralysis, almost every single month, there was always at least one figure just standing at the foot of my bed, just staring at me, keeping eye contact. They've never, ever asked me a single question. They've never said anything directly to me. They've only ever stared at me. Until last night. The last few weeks have been filled with the weirdest kind of sleep I've ever experienced. I haven't experienced much sleep paralysis for the past few years. An isolated experience here and there, but nothing other than that. I used to sleep 10 to 14 hours every time I had the time to sleep in. This was especially true during weekends. As long as my blinders were up, I could sleep until physically disturbed. The past few months, however, something has changed. No matter how tired I feel, I cannot sleep longer than 6 a.m. at most. It absolutely does not matter how long I stay up, I still wake up at 6 a.m. on the dot. It's not that I feel like I've slept enough at that point either. I'll wake up exhausted and go to sleep even more exhausted and still wake up at 6 a.m. only to repeat the pattern. Yesterday, I went to sleep at around 10.45 p.m. I've been sick all week and I had a lecture today that I was excited for and I wanted to make sure I was well rested for the next day. As I've said, I'm a 22-year-old student. I live alone in the same apartment I've lived in for two years with my cat that I've had since I was eight years old. I haven't heard a single sound from a neighbor in the entirety of these two years. I went to sleep yesterday at around 2 a.m. absolutely exhausted. My cat fell asleep in between my legs and I can't even say that I had any dreams. That was honestly my first sign that this wasn't going to be a quiet evening for me. My cat did wake up a couple of times in the early night, poking me and trying to get my attention. After 15 years, I know exactly how it feels when she's the one to wake me up. There is absolutely no room for confusion. I woke up at around 3 a.m. last night. Immediately, I was struck by this sudden, small feeling I'd never felt before in my life. I couldn't open my eyes. No matter how fucking hard I tried, no matter how fucking hard I wanted, I could not open my eyes. At this point, I tried my hardest to scream as loud as I thought possible. I could feel the weight of my cat sleeping peacefully on my legs, even though I still couldn't see her. I screamed and screamed. I pushed and pushed and tore my voice apart as hard as I fucking could to escape this horrible unholiness. My forced mutism and blindness keeping me hostage as my body still laid in bed, completely paralyzed. My only connection to reality right now was my cat. I could still hear her purring. I could hear her water fountain trickling in the background. I could still hear her making biscuits while pawing me. The sound of it all in place of my forced silence was almost deafening as I laid there sleeping. That was, until the point it all stopped. I struggled against my own body trying to force my eyes open to no avail. The harder I tried to force my eyes open, the harder and more painful it became. 
I couldn't get a single glimpse of what was happening. As it happened, though, I felt a large hand grab the lower part of my face and push it down into the dark. The hand kept a firm hand on my face as it kept down. I could hear this one voice reverberate almost inside my ears as they were screaming at me. Hey, 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 Ellie, how does it feel? I see you. Look at me. Tell me how it is. Hey, fucking listen to me. Tell me. Look at me. Come on, I fucking dare you. Look at me. Fucking listen to me. Tell me how you fucking feel, huh? Tell me how you fucking feel. Hello? I see you. Tell me how it fucking feels. Hello? 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 No matter how much I kept trying to scream, I just couldn't make it stop. The voice just kept repeating the same thing, never allowing me to see anything until I begged it to stop. The screaming kept on going for at least 45 minutes, it felt like, before I was physically able to open my eyes and make them stop. I am terrified to go to sleep tonight. For everyone telling me to go to the doctor, I've been to the doctor several times. I've done sleep studies, sleep therapy, and it's something I talk about with my therapist a lot. I'm aware sleep paralysis in general is not paranormal, but this did not feel like a sleep paralysis, which is why I posted this. My sleep paralysis is never actually scary to me because I know what it is, and they're always just standing there. I have several tricks I use to normally bring myself out of paralysis, but none of those work this time, which again made me feel like this wasn't normal. Thank you for all the tips and reassurances, though. I appreciate it. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. Up next, we check in with Reddit user OldAd2959, featuring voice work by Tom Aglio, and we learn troubling things about our best friend. For some context, I've been friends with this guy for a little over three years. When I first met him, I thought he was hilarious, kind, intelligent, and overall a really interesting person. Everyone thought that of him, and they still do. He's loved by his peers and is a very well-known member of our community. This is important later. We didn't become best friends till a few months into our friendship. One day we were joking around and we had a genuine connection with each other. I've never had such a good time with someone before. It was one of those moments when you're with someone and you silently laugh and can't breathe. It was fun. Whenever I first met him, his ex-girlfriend warned me of him. I was pretty close to her, but I still couldn't believe anything she said about him. I assumed she was a vengeful ex. She claimed that he went far past her sexual boundaries, was unusually cruel to her at times, and one time attempted to drown her. She said they went swimming and he put all of his weight on top of her and kept holding her underwater. Once she'd come up, he would do it again and again. They broke up after that. I ignored this and, as I said earlier, chalked it up to her having an extreme dislike for him. One day he brags to me about how he got away with relentlessly bullying this kid in high school. He tried to talk him into suicide, but the kid would only go as far as to cut himself, so he gave up after getting bored. He thought this was hilarious, and he was laughing while telling me about it. I was very disturbed by this, and I've never seen him act so cruel before. Another time, we went hiking together. This was his idea. The trail we were at was very popular, so there were a lot of people there. 
This one woman stood out to him, I guess, and he kept commenting on how gorgeous she was. She was with a man who I guess was her husband or boyfriend, and I just thought the whole thing was strange. Afterwards, we went out to eat inside of this plaza, and he guided the conversation to the topic of sex. We each slowly opened up about what we liked, and it was pretty normal until he brought up his true interests. He said he fantasized about kidnapping, raping, and murdering a girl. He told me in detail how he basically wanted to torture some lady and commit necrophilia along with other fucked up stuff. Once we got done eating, he kept joking about going back to that girl and doing all that to her. He brought it up numerous times throughout the day and it was apparent he wasn't joking. It's more of a suggestion at this point. I distanced myself from him after that and we kind of drifted apart anyways as we got separate jobs and didn't see each other much. I went to a party one night and guess who was there? The Creepo. At the beginning, I mentioned how everyone loves him. He's an active member of the community and goes to church. Plus, his new occupation adds to his facade. He started talking to me and he seemed normal as per usual. I thought he changed because of how convincing he was. I'm sure you think you could tell, but I'm telling you this guy could easily fool you. He told me how he joined the local PD. Yeah, he's a cop now, and I was shocked by this. He always mentioned wanting to join law enforcement and would never say he had bad intentions. Maybe he was genuine about helping people, or maybe it was just a cover, who knows, but either way, he shouldn't have that authority. We start talking again, and we hung out a few times. He seemed completely normal and kind, so I assumed everything was alright, until he mentions his cousin's death and talks about him so coldly and doesn't seem to feel sad about it at all. He also spoke of his current girlfriend in a detached manner. During our friendship, he told me he abused his dog and killed others when he was younger, and recently he bragged about kidnapping a sex worker and scaring her. Anytime I asked him what he meant by scaring, he'd become hostile and refuse to go into further detail. He's always loved going into detail, so I'm curious about why he isn't about this all of a sudden. On New Year's, we went to a bar and he nearly killed a guy. He literally beat the guy till he was choking on his own blood and he didn't stop till I said the poor guy could die. I tried to stop him physically, but he's a lot stronger than I am. He turned around with his blank expression on his face and casually went back into conversation. I've reported him to the police anonymously, but I haven't heard anything back from them. I'm convinced he's a psychopath or something along those lines. TLDR, former best friend, nearly drowned ex, abused and killed animals, tried to talk guy into suicide, fantasized about kidnap, rape, and murder, is a master manipulator and nearly killed a guy. He joined the police department and goes to church, is well-respected and well-liked member of the community, and no one suspects how fucking crazy he is unless they've fallen victim to him or was close to him. Update, I contacted the FBI in my state and they said that they would look into it. After the conversation, I had high hopes that this would be resolved. It sounded promising. I have more stories about some horrible shit he's done if any of you are interested. I've also received a lot of comments asking how I ignored the red flags for so long and I don't have an answer for that. It was stupid of me to believe everything he said and I should have listened to my friend, his ex. I'll update further once I receive more information about him. Thank you all for the advice you've given. Are you terrified yet? You will be. Disturbed is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show, one that I've recently discovered and have really been enjoying. 
The Jordan Harbinger Show combines in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds like Susan Cain and Adam Grant, and covering a wide array of topics like giving yourself the gift of done or kicking it in the Cobra Kai dojo. How cool would that be? And with Feedback Friday episodes to respond to listener questions about everything from conventional conundrums like asking for a raise at work, who doesn't want that, right? To the big time issues like helping a family member escape a cult. You never really know what topic might come up, and that's the part that really fascinates me. On The Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll learn useful advice from a heavy-hitting interview like Daniel Pink, speaking on the power of regret, one that I highly recommend. All of this comes together in a great way for the listener, and whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you're going to find something useful and beneficial that you can apply in your own life. And that could mean something simple, like how to ask for advice in the right way, or it could be discovering a small mindset tweak that can change how you see the world. Now, I've been listening to the show for a while now, and I absolutely love it. I've learned a lot of new ideas and concepts, and I've heard advice on topics I didn't even know I needed, but they definitely have come in useful in my everyday life, and I think it'll help you out too. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's Jordan, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Now back to the deliciously frightful... Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Up next, we hear from Reddit user Hours and Hours, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we nearly get taken. When I turned nine, my parents finally let me start walking to school. It wasn't far, and even though they were worried, I assured them I would be fine. I was so excited because my best friend lived next door, and that meant we could walk to school and back together every day. Things were going great the first few weeks, and we had so much fun laughing and talking all the way to school and back home. There was a liquor store along the way that we would stop at on the way home to get some snacks and candies, but only on Friday. It was our little treat, and the thing we looked forward to at the end of the week. One Friday afternoon after school, we began our walk to the liquor store talking about school as usual. It was just like any other time we went to the store. We would rush in laughing all the way to the candy, pick our favorites, and hop in line to pay. This time, there was a man with a pack of beer, and he looked like he worked in construction or something. He was in line before us with another man, but when he saw us, he let us go first. We thought he was just being nice, so we happily obliged, and as I talked to the cashier, 
My friend stayed behind me. I could hear the two men behind us speaking in Spanish and laughing. So I turn around to look and see my friend with a nervous look on her face. She grabbed my arm hard after I paid and practically pulled me out of the store. I kept asking her what was wrong and she said she didn't feel safe and we should just run home. I was confused and I wanted us to enjoy our candy on the way back like we always did until she told me what she had heard. I don't speak Spanish, but she did. And apparently, the two men were talking about me. She said that one of them pointed to me and said, she looks like the one. They both laughed and agreed, and the one with the beer said, let's follow them and we can grab her around the corner. She's small and won't put up a fight. I froze in fear. We were still in the parking lot of the store and didn't know what to do. We looked around us and saw the two men get into a big work truck. They didn't even glance our way. So I told my friend they were probably just joking and we were being paranoid for being so scared. Boy, was I wrong. My friend didn't agree with me and said they were definitely serious and we should start running. I was hesitant at first until I turned around and the truck was right behind us. I took one look at my friend and we grabbed hands and ran as fast as we could. Our hearts were racing and we didn't dare turn around. We were both crying and I ended up dropping our bag of candy. We turned the corner and there was the truck. My heart dropped. The man in the passenger seat hopped out and began to approach us. He didn't say a word. His eyes were locked on me. I have never been that terrified in my life. I was frozen in fear. My friend, however, started yelling at the man in Spanish and he seemed to get angry. There was a busy road to the left of us and it was our only way out. We knew what we had to do without even saying it. We didn't look left or right. We just ran for our lives across traffic. A car almost ended up hitting us, but they slammed on the brakes and started honking. We just kept running until we were about a block from our houses. We were out of breath and hysterical. We thought we had made it, but then we heard a whistle and we look, and it's the truck. The men were on the other side of the street windows down, whistling at us. We had no option but to run as fast as we could to our house. My mom was in the front gardening, and she was shocked to see us running and screaming. We couldn't get the words out right. All we managed to say was truck following us. She immediately ran to the street to see the truck peel away. As soon as she calmed us down, she called the cops to take a report, but nothing ever came of it. And I was never allowed to walk to school again. Are you listening alone? Rather brave of you. And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user Sinox, featuring voice work by Danuta Marie, and we take a trip to Satan's B&B. A story on here reminded me of the time some friends and I stayed in what had to be the third most shady hotel in Vegas which for Vegas is saying something. When I managed to inadvertently traumatize the entirety of my company as I recounted what I considered to be an amusing childhood story. The hotel itself was a bit of a nightmare as everything was bolted down and none of the doors locked, but I digress. I decided that this would be a good place to put it, given the input of my buddies. Sorry that it's long. The story itself is about my family's run-in with Satanists on a trip to upstate New York. 
Though the growing expressions of disbelief and horror on my companions' faces assured me that the story was not, as I had previously considered, funny, per se. In any case, what follows is completely true, and everyone present swears by this narrative. When I was five years of age, we took a road trip, as was common in our family, up to upstate New York to see my grandmother on my father's side, as well as to tour around the countryside a bit. There we were in the rural upstate, away from the region in which my grandmother actually lives, and we were planning on staying in a bed and breakfast my father had booked ahead of time. It had been an unexpectedly long drive due to weather complications, and when we found the B&B in question, we were all quite tired. We went up to the door to check in, and a woman missing her two front teeth on both jaws answered. She invited us in, but warned us that they didn't have any room for the night. They were booked solid. My father protested that he had made the arrangements in advance, but she said she knew another hotel that had vacancy just up the way, and she would give them a call. And she assured him they would offer the same rates. But first, she insisted on showing my parents around, as her husband was an artist, and she wanted to show them his studio and famous artwork. We were all invited in, but after seeing the first few pieces of naked women missing their front teeth, bound or being tortured in various ways, my parents opted to leave the kids outside with grandma. Apparently, most of the rooms were full to the ceiling with similarly foreboding images of dead or dying people with the occasional sculpture of menacing animals. My parents were a bit creeped out, but just figured these people were eccentric and they had dodged a bullet by ending up somewhere else. We all waited out back while the woman called her friend, beside a pit containing what could have been nothing other than an altar covered with pentagrams. My mother mentioned that it seemed strange that not only had they not met the husband, who was supposedly there somewhere, having toured the entire house, but that there hadn't been a single sign of life or piece of luggage suggesting that anyone else was actually staying in any of the guest bedrooms in the supposedly fully booked B&B. A side note that's probably not worth mentioning, but that I found strange when my mother brought it up while telling me the story later. As I was five at the time, a lot of this story has been narrated to me after the fact by different people who were involved on some level, was that we stopped by a park to stretch our legs at some point before proceeding to the next place. The storm was closing in on us and my parents wanted to be sure we had zero energy upon arrival. While in this park, my mother claims that one of us found and brought to her a small necklace with a pendant on it. The pendant itself was a pentagram on one side, with a third Reich symbol on the other. My mother took it away and put it in her purse. We arrived at the next bed and breakfast to be greeted by a different woman, also conspicuously missing her two front teeth, upper and lower. It was about this time that my grandmother mentioned that she had read a lot of articles recently about tourists being killed by some cult of Satanists or some such in this area. Great. She tended to tell a lot of tall tales, so I think my parents kind of rolled their eyes and dismissed it, but they made a point to mention it later. The storm was now upon us. We were all exhausted and there was nowhere else to stay that we could find anywhere near there. My dad decided we would make do with whatever they had to offer. What they had to offer was a slightly renovated barn. During the bustle of moving our luggage in, the woman kept inviting my brother, three, and I into the house saying she had some sweets and wouldn't we like to meet her kitties? 
She made it clear, however, that my parents were not welcome into the house because it was too messy and she would be embarrassed. We were herded away into the barn and told not to talk to the lady. Once inside, my father, who was by this time a bit creeped out, went about checking the beds and securing the one-room barn unit. The windows had no coverings whatsoever and the doors had no locks. We placed pillows from the couches in the window frames and my dad grabbed a dresser against one wall to block the door. When he went to move the dresser, he discovered it was on wheels, which were completely silent. He also noticed that the wall behind it moved a little when he shifted the dresser. When he scrutinized the wall, he found a seam. He pushed on the wall and it gave way. Two invisible doors opening outwards into the night and just outside was a dark colored van which had been backed up to the opening. Livid, my dad went about rearranging all the furniture in the room, stacking the heaviest against the outward swinging doors and moving the mobile dresser with various loud objects behind it against the main door. When he had completed this and we were all starting to settle down at about 11 p.m., the woman brought us fresh baked blueberry muffins. Now, as I mentioned before, I don't remember much of this trip, but this is one element I have a vivid recollection of. When he had completed this and we were all starting to settle down at about 11 p.m., the woman brought us fresh baked blueberry muffins. Now, as I mentioned before, I don't remember much of this trip, but this is one element I have a vivid recollection of. With the inclement weather and the rush to find a place to stay, complemented by the lack of restaurants, nigh anything in the area, we hadn't had what one might consider a proper meal. When you're five, dinner is very important. The muffins were freshly baked and smelled heavenly. I wanted one more than I wanted anything else in the world. However, presuming, probably correctly, that they were poisoned or something was seriously wrong about them, since this entire thing was beginning to feel like a horror movie, my mother absolutely forbade us from even going near them. She put them on a high shelf and sent us to bed. I was so angry. I went to bed hungry and irritable. Only two things happened that night that I can recall. My parents slept very lightly, when at all, as you might imagine. They claimed they kept hearing talking outside. My sister woke us all with a blood-curdling scream around 1 a.m. for reasons unknown, and she was usually a very quiet baby. When my parents got up and milled for about an hour trying to get her back to bed, my mom noticed something on the wall as she was walking her around and called my father over. What I would later learn was that the picture hanging to one side of the door that during the daylight seemed to be logs in a recently extinguished fire pit and a tranquil forest scene was, by night, unmistakably burning corpses with a hooded smoky figure looming over them. We got up the next morning, packed up early, and waited for the lady to get up so we could pay and leave. While my parents were packing the bags, the woman came around back and gave both my brother and I small wooden cats carved into the form of napkin holders, each a different color that she had written little notes on. As my father was paying after loading us into the car, my mom began kicking the gravel around on the drive absentmindedly. The woman came over to say goodbye and waved to us with her gaped grin, and my mother noticed that she was trying to discreetly recover the tiles that she was uncovering under the gravel. Before driving off, my mother got back out of the car and uncovered one of the tiles, and she claimed it was the same pentagram 
with Third Reich symbol within it that she had seen a similar version of in the park, prompting her to notice as we drove away that the necklace was no longer in her purse. The likelihood of it simply falling out of the purse pocket she had placed it in was, as she put it, quite unlikely. People listening to this story seemed appalled at the fact that I still have that little wooden cat that the nice lady gave me sitting in my bedroom. I know this all sounds very strange, but I can only assure you that it matches well with my memory of the events and all of the adults who were there tell me the same story, and two of them are not known to extrapolate at all. Personally, I'm glad it's just a weird story we look back on with confusion and that nothing stranger happened that night. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Submit your own experience to the show in writing or through our hotline, all available at disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And a big thanks to our newest supporters, Anaru McGee, Double D's Kelly Lee, Stan Ewing, Kiyodashi Kuhn, Michaela Beers, Valerie Anderson, Leanne Lovick, Faith Lee Ann, and Becca Smith. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases. And you can too. Patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Music by Carl Casey at whitebataudio and co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.